Okay. I'm on it, man. Well, you'd, you'd probably have to be... A pre you want to shut the door, Karen? You'd probably have to be a preacher type to know it, but 1 John, 1 John, the book that we're studying right now together, 1 John has been in the news in the last several months. In October 2007, 138 Muslim scholars and clerics sent an open letter to Christians, and the letter was entitled, A Common Word Between Us and You. The Muslim leaders put forth this idea that Muslims and Christians have a common theological ground in that Muslims and Christians are commanded to love God and to love their neighbor. In November 2007, the New York Times published the Christian response. It was uh, generated by three or four theologians and signed off on by more than 300 uh, leaders and uh, preachers in the U.S. And their response was loving God and neighbor together. Um, in that Christian response, 1 John is quoted four times. And this is the reason I'm bringing this up. Uh, this great text that we're looking at it was, was quoted four times. But I want you to hear me, and I want you to listen to me, and I want you to, to get my point here. I think the Apostle John would have hated it, that his gospel was quoted four times in this letter. As I told you last week, John is a black and white preacher. He just preaches the truth. And when he hears a lie, he says, that's a lie. And when he hears a man deceiving another, he says, you're a deceiver. And even he goes so far in, in, his, in, his, God, in, in his epistle here, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, to, to use the word antichrist. And John's very, very strong. John, there's no gray areas for John. John is black and white. And we made that point, I think, pretty clear um, last week. He became known in the first century, John became known as the Apostle of Love. And John loved people too much to finesse the truth. He loved people too much to be politically correct. This son of thunder, as he was called by Jesus, he would not tolerate spiritual deception. He just would not tolerate it. He loved people too much. And the stakes are huge. The stakes are huge when we get down to spiritual and theological uh, deception. And last week I, I used a word, some of you may have known what it meant, some of you may not have known. I used the word obfuscate. I don't know if you know that word. I was going to uh, define it last week and I forgot. It was in my notes. But I'm going to define it for you this week. Uh, it means to confuse, disguise, conceal, make dim, or indistinct. Now I looked at this word indistinct. Uh, it means to be unclear, to be vague, to be imprecise, to be indefinite, to be blurry, and to be hazy. And I'm bringing up this Christian response to, the, to Islam uh, in this one instance because this is what these men were. They were indistinct. They, they obfuscate the truth. And that's never healthy. That's never healthy. John was black and white. And I, I think John would have been livid. I think he would have been incensed to see his words used in this Christian response to the Muslims. John Piper says this in regard to that Christian response. It won't work to simply say we have a prophet and you have a prophet. 
and then go on to use vague, deceptive, misleading language to imply that Christians and Muslims have the same God. And that's the damning uh, inference you draw when you read uh, the Muslim letter and you read the Christian letter. You get this sense, although it's not actually said, but you come away with this sense that Allah and Jehovah are one and the same. And friends, that's just blatantly false. And I think John would have hated his words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be taken out of context and to be used so loosely. The Christian response to the Muslim open letter, it quoted 1 John 4.8. It says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But if you look at the verses right after 1 John 4.8, if you look at verse 9 and verse 10, this is what you see. And you can see how it was just ripped out of context. This is how God has loved us. By this love of God was manifested in us that God, what? Sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be, a, to be the propitiation for our sins. Why do I say it's intellectually dishonest for Christians to try to build this bridge using this text? It's because this text is about Christ and Islam radically rejects Christ. Islam radically rejects Christ. Now, Islam respects Christ. Uh, they call him a prophet. I mean, they'll say nice things about him, but in effect, they call him a liar because Jesus claimed to be what? God. And Islam says, no, that's an abomination. In fact, Islam, the unforgivable sin in Islam is called shirk. And that's attributing divine nature to a human. That's who, God, that's who Jesus was. And that's the unforgivable sin in Islam. To say that Jesus is God. To say that He is the Christ. The other thing that, that Muslims radically reject is the fact that Jesus was a sacrifice for the sin of man. They radically reject this. And I can quote scripture for you from the Quran. If you're interested, come see me. I'll give you uh, scripture from the Quran that corroborates what I have just told you. As one Christian scholar said, this, in fact, this is a, a Muslim who became a Christian. Okay? I want you to understand. The guy I'm quoting here is a Muslim who became a Christian. This is what he said. The popular notion that Jews, Christians, and Muslims all worship the same God, it's blasphemous to all three religions and founded only in modern plur pluralism. Jews, Muslims do not worship Christ. We worship Christ. We proclaim Christ as God. And Muslims and Jews <clears throat> do not. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, Jim, these guys are trying to do a good thing. These guys are trying to reach out. They're trying to find common ground. And I applaud that. I do. I commend that. I'm for that. I don't want war. I don't want strife. I don't want contention. I don't want that. I don't want that at all. I don't want it. I don't think any of us do. What does Luke 6.27 say? What does Jesus say for the Christian to do with his enemies? To love them and to pray for them. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus says? Isn't that our mandate? To love them and to pray for them? And what I want to, my point is this. My point in saying all of this is, is to make the point that first John is black and white. And John would have hated his, his name and his words to be used in this way. My point is this, we love our enemies the best when we're truth tellers. We are called to love them and pray for them. We're not called to deceive them. And when you read this document, it's deceptive and it makes you think. 
It makes you think that Allah and Jehovah are the same God. And I want to say that is categorically false. It's a lie. It's deceptive. And it's wrong. It's wrong. And I want to say to you, uh, brothers and sisters, when we speak about Christianity in non-specific and generic and indistinct and imprecise terms, we are contributing to the spiritual fog that permeates the whole world. We're not supposed to be contributing to the fog. We're supposed to be what? The light of the world. This is what the Lord Jesus tells, tells us in Matthew chapter 5. We're not supposed to be contributing to darkness. We're supposed to be saying, that is a lie. And I love you enough to tell you that's a lie. And if you keep drinking from that well, it's toxic. It'll kill you and it'll kill you forever. We need to love people enough to say these things. And I preached really strong last week and I'm going to preach strong this week. You cannot preach 1 John and not preach strong. You can't. You can't. And so I'm going to preach strong again. When we obfuscate the truth of the Bible, we become part of the problem. And this response to Islam, in a way, I felt I was so ashamed in that, in that really what we're, your average Muslim will read that and go, oh, Jehovah and Allah are the same. They're not the same. We need to speak precisely. As John Piper said, Christ is necessary. Christ, we can't speak about God in generic terms out in the world. I've stopped using, I, I know I still do it, but I, I consciously try not to use the generic term God. Because when you use the generic term God in, the, in this day, people hear about 12 different things. I try to say Jesus Christ. I try to always remember, I don't know, I'm not always successful, but I always try to say Jesus Christ so they know who I'm talking about when I use the term God. Jesus Christ is necessary and we love people around us, whether they be friend or foe, we love them the best when we tell them the truth. I had a brother share with me this week about he was talking to a friend. He was sharing the gospel with a friend and this friend said, well, what you're telling me is I'm going to go to hell. And this friend said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> you got to care enough about somebody's eternity to say that to them. Because you know there's a big chance you're going to lose a relationship. You know there's a big chance that you're going to get an adverse reaction. You know there's a big chance that that friendship might end. But you love them enough to say, yes, that's what God says. It's not my opinion. That's what God says. And I asked the morning congregation, do you want me to come in here and give you a politically correct lecture on Sunday night? Or do you want me to come in here and to the best of my ability tell you what God says? Which is it that you want? If you want a politically correct lecture, <laughs> you're in the wrong place. You're not going to get it here. <laughs> you're not going to get it here. We're going to try our very best to be faithful to the Word of God. And I'd, I'd ask you to hopefully you have your Bibles open. I know that was a long introduction. Uh, but there you go. First uh, John uh, chapter 1, verse 5, And this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light 
as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As I told you last week, John says in verse 1, he says, from the very beginning, and I believe that what he's saying there is from the beginning of the gospel proclamation, from the very beginning of proclaiming Christ and Him crucified and Him risen, the message has never changed. It's never changed. It's never going to change. We talked a lot about that last week. When a cult comes to you and says it's changed, or even a mainline denomination, and they start adding things to the Word of God, it's wrong. John says, from the very beginning, it's never changed. It's never changed from this. It's never changed from this. It's somebody that changes this. It's wrong. And John's going to call him a liar. John's going to call him a deceiver. And ultimately, he's going to call anyone changing this is an antichrist. This is what John said. It's not what I say. This is what the Word of God says. God is light. It doesn't say... God is, not, God is not a light. God is not the light. God is light. And while we can't fathom all that I think the Holy Spirit is communicating to us when He says God is light, I think there are at least three things He's saying here that we can't understand. God is beautiful. God is beautiful. We're going to talk about that for a minute. God is truth. God is honest. He's reality. He's certainty. He's virtuous. He's righteous. He's holy. And thirdly, I believe that uh, John is, is saying to us that, that God is life. God, uh, the life of God animates everything that is alive. And John almost uses the word light and life synonymously. John continues, In Him there is no darkness, there is no ugliness, there is no malice, there is no evil in our beautiful God. There is no dishonesty, there is no fraud, there is no deception, there is no obfuscation. God just says what it is. He always does. There's nothing corrupt, nothing immoral, nothing unrighteous in God. And I want to take just a minute, just a few minutes, and I want to just talk about God as light and what that Lord willing means to us. And the reason this is important is because this is the baseline for 1 John. God is light is the baseline for 1 John. It's the foundational statement of 1 John. God is light. Oh, guess what? You're supposed to be a son of light or a daughter of light. It's a, it, we, we need to understand that this is the baseline understanding. God is light. And when any, anytime I can work this into a sermon, I do. <clears throat> God's beautiful. <laughs> and I have a sermon on God is beautiful. And I love to preach that sermon. He's beautiful. You don't hear that enough. And <clears throat> you, you look in the Bible, the word glory is used over 400 times, most often used in connection with God. And there's this concept in the Greek and Hebrew uh, in the word glory, it has this component of, of beauty to it. Same thing about the word holy. It has this component of beauty to it. Listen to a couple of, of these verses. Psalm 50, verse 2. God shines in glorious radiance. You see the light. You see the light and the beauty. Psalm 26, 8. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glory shines. Again, the light and the beauty. Psalm 148.13 Let them praise the name of the Lord for His name alone is excellent. His radiance is above earth and heaven. Again, light and beauty. One more. Isaiah 6.3 And one angel called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His bright glory fills the whole earth. His bright glory fills the whole earth. You remember in John chapter 10, I know I, I say this a lot, but I learned this in John chapter 10 going through this time. 
The Greek word there, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, it's the word kalos. And it's, it's the same word that, that is used to build the English word uh, kaleidoscope. Jesus is not just saying I'm morally good. He's saying I'm, I'm the beautiful shepherd. I'm the beautiful shepherd. God, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ is beautiful. You remember that great 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 passage. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. He is the King of kings. And He dwells in what? Does anybody remember? He dwells in unapproachable light. You remember? You remember Moses used to go talk to God. You remember? Moses used to go talk to God. And when Moses came down uh, from talking to God, you remember, you remember he was different. Do you remember what was different about him? His face shone. The glory of God was on his face. Do you remember? And John knows about this, this whole God is light thing. John, was at the, uh, John and, and his brother James and Peter, they were at the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember that, that Jesus was transfigured before their eyes? And this is the text. Uh, that was written in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus' face, it shone like the sun, and His garments became as white as light. Our God is beautiful. Our God is a beautiful God. There's nothing like Him. He has no peer. Secondly, He's righteous. He's not only beautiful, He's morally beautiful. He's not a, his manifest presence is not only beautiful, He's morally beautiful. Just a couple of verses, and I could multiply these endlessly. But Psalm eleven seven, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. Psalm 33, 5, God loves righteousness and justice. And then lastly, from this beautiful God, this, this beautifully moral God flows all life, physical and spiritual. And John uses, again, as I said, these phrases interchangeably and almost synonymously. In John 1, if you go back and you look in the Gospel and you look at John 1, 1 through 4, John tells us that Jesus Christ is the Creator God. He's the Creator. All things were made by Him. And then in verse 4 it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. Again, you see this, this connection between light and life. John tells us in his Gospel, he recorded the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I am Somebody tell me. The light of the world. Right? I am the light of the world. And then Jesus also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, there's this almost synonymous usage of light and life. The Holy Spirit is using this imagery of the fact that God is light to, to lay the groundwork so we understand we're to be children of light. We don't walk in the darkness. If we claim to be a Christian, we no longer walk in the darkness. I'm not talking about sinless perfection, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks because some try to make the case that 1 John teaches sinless perfection. Well, the Bible doesn't teach sinless perfection. That's not ever going to happen in your life as a Christian. Now, we're, we're to be progressing in sanctification, but sinless perfection, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that. And the Holy Spirit speaks distinctly when He speaks about the Gospel. Jesus is the Christ. And John, speaks, John is the same. As I told you last week, we're either in the light or we're in the darkness. We're either in Christ or we're not in Christ. We're either sons of God or we're sons of the devil. There's no middle ground in the Gospel. And John makes it very clear there's no middle place for anyone to stand. There's no nice, warm, fuzzy, soft, religious place to stand in the middle. There is no place to stand in the middle. And John loves his people and his hearers 
enough to tell them this. And if we have, if, if our God is light, then we will have some, in some measure, albeit sometimes greatly dim, this light will be in us. There will be evidences of this light in us. There will be evidences that we are born again, that we are born from above. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9, that we've been called out of the darkness and what? Into what? I love this. The marvelous light. <laughs> We've been called out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. So we will give evidence that we have partaken of this light. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, you must be born again. And just a few verses later, he says this. John chapter 3, 19 and 20. This is judgment that the light has come into the world and men have loved what? The darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and he does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Brothers and sisters, this is the foundation of 1 John. God is light. And oh yes, you're supposed to be too. If you're a Christian, if it's real for you, if you're truly converted, if you're born again, if you're born from above, you're supposed to be light. This is, this is what we're going to hear all the way through the gospel, all the way through the epistle of 1 John. All the way through the epistle of 1 John. If we receive this light, we love this light, we agree with this light, we live, we order our, our lives in conjunction with this light, we belong to Him. If, if we reject this light, if we don't agree, if we're ambivalent about this light, if we could care less about living by His dictates and His commands as He sheds His light, if we could care less, if we're ambivalent, if we're lukewarm about it, if it doesn't really mean, if it's just a religious thing, we're not a Christian at all. It doesn't matter how often we go to church. And man, i got to love you to say that to you, you know? <laughs> i got to love you to say that to you. Because I know I scare some people off sometimes. I so, man, I don't want to go back in here. That guy, he's crazy. You know? He, he breaches too hard. But you know why I do that? And I tell you every once in a while, man, I'm always going to set eternity right in front of you. As best I can, I'm going to set eternity right in front of you. It matters more than anything else. Everything forever is at stake every time a preacher stands in the pulpit. And I can't get up here and do cotton candy chatter. I can't do it. It's not in me. I can't do it. If I have one person here or 10,000 persons here, I will always preach the same. I'll always preach the same. Eternity matters and Christ is necessary. And you need to make sure <laughs> you've got that sorted out. You need to make sure you've got that sorted out. The proof is in the pudding. It's not in our words. It's in our life. This is what God says. I learned a really cool thing this week in my studies. I, was over, I went ahead and I was looking into verse 9 and it uses the word confess. And I looked at the Greek word there and it's a compound word. The, the, the Greek word that's translated confess there. And the, it's a compound word. It's made up of, of two words. Homo, which means the same thing, right? And it's made, of, made up of the word logeo, which means to say. It means to say the same thing. Oh, guess what? Guess what it means to be a Christian? Your life will confess that you belong to Him. Your life in some measure will be saying what Jesus' life said. It will reflect His words. That's what it means to be a Christian. Your life will confess. You know, people will, will see you and they say, that's a Christian. I see Jesus. I'm reading Jesus off their life. You know, I've I tell you this all the time. 
people around us are supposed to read Christ off our lives. The way we talk, the way we think, the way we spend our money, the thing we do for amusement, the way we raise our families, the way we love our wives, the way we do our jobs, the way we go to church, the way we sing in church, the way we give excellent attention to the pastor at church. You're supposed to say that, yeah, he's like Christ. She's like Christ. They remind me of Christ. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to look like. Look at verse 6. John says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, then someone tell me from the text, what does the text say? If we say we have fellowship with Christ, but we're really in the dark, we really walk in the dark. We prefer the dark. We don't really love the words of Jesus. We, we, we order our lives around uh, anything other than the words of Jesus. What does it say we are? Liars. We're liars. <laughs> this is the way John writes. It's the way he teaches. It's the way he writes and teaches. We're liars if we say that. Some years ago, and I wrote it in the margin of my Bible. I know some of, some of us are too spiritual to write in our Bibles, but I write in my Bible all the time. And, and I heard... I heard uh, I heard uh, Billy Graham say this, and I, I, bet, I, bet I, wrote this back, I bet I wrote this back in like 85, okay? <laughs> That's how long I've been carrying this around. And, and uh, I heard Billy Graham say something. Uh, he said uh, that he, he believed that at least 70% of those claiming to be Christians were not Christians, that it was just a religious thing. And that really startled me uh, when I heard him say that. But I had just been converted back in the mid-'80s, and, and, and the longer I have walked through churches and seen things and experienced things, the more I understand what he's saying. But he's saying that that statistic is true because so many don't actually ever leave the, the, the pew and go out in the world and live it. And this is what Christianity is. Our lives, again, as I said, are supposed to confess we belong to the God of light. And we're supposed to be sons and daughters of light. We touched on this word fellowship last week. It's used twice in verse 3. It's used again in verse uh, 6 and 7. The Holy Spirit is not talking about, as I said last week, red punch and cookies kind of fellowship. The Holy Spirit is talking about partnership with God. Don't you love that? I love this. The Holy Spirit is talking about our partnership with one another in the body of Christ and our partnership with God. There's supposed to be a oneness and I, I, I stumbled on this word I really like. We're supposed to be seen as collaborators with God. We are in collaboration with the living God. He is light. And we are too. Albeit imperfectly. Albeit woefully imperfectly in my life many times. Our Father is light. And we're called to be light. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. My people are to be what? The salt of the earth. And my people are the light of the world. My people are salty people. They have a distinct flavor to them. And my people reflect my light in the world. And the world sees it. Oh, and what does the world do? They give glory to God when they see our good works. Because we're sons and daughters of light. <laughs> this imagery permeates. It permeates all of the New Testament. It permeates all of the New Testament. Over in, over in 1 John 2, 6, he, the Holy Spirit just says it. He says, The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. Jesus says in the Gospels, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Wow, that's pretty simple, right? 
Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you belong to me. That's pretty black and white, right? Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much spiritual fruit. Again, a declarative statement, a very black and white thing. And then he says this, my children are salty. I love that. And then he says, let our light shine before men in such a way that our Father is glorified. Jesus says, if we are in Him, we will have the light. The light will be in us. We will walk in the light. People around us will see that we have the light. Isn't that simple? <laughs> this is the message of 1 John. John says the message has never changed. It's always the same. Jesus is the Christ. God is the light. And we are sons and daughters of light. If we call ourselves Christians, walking in the light is not optional. You, all you have to do is read 1 John. It's not an optional thing. It's not, it's not like, oh, I think I, I will today. or I, I don't know. It's not optional. If you read your Bibles, you understand it's necessary. It's imperative that we walk in the light. I was telling you last week, and I'm going to put this book on the book table. This great book I read about uh, unveiling Islam by these two former Muslims who are now Christian uh, theologians. And uh, I told you why, and some of you weren't here, so I'm going to say it again. I told you why that your average Muslim won't hear a Christian uh, share the gospel. They just won't hear it. And you know why this is true? You know why these, these former Muslims say that? It's because of the way we live. <laughs> Because a Muslim, a Muslim has a very disciplined religious regimen, okay? And many Muslims have some idea of what Christianity purports to believe. And if he doesn't see it in your life, he's never going to listen to you. If it's not real, he's not going to hear you, you know? And that's just the truth of the matter. I was reading another book uh, this week, and I, I saw a statistic. George Barna, many of you have heard of him. He's a sociologist and researcher back in the U.S., and he compared Christians and non-Christians in 131 specific attitudes, behaviors, values, and beliefs. You know what he found out? There's not one bit of difference in your average Christian and your average unbeliever. What an indictment. You know, what an indictment on the Western church. What an indictment. And I want to say this to you. You know, this is all compounded by the fact that we live in a postmodern age where many, many people these days, they have absolutely, they do not believe in absolute truth. It's the first time in the history of men that a large segment of the population no longer believes in anything absolute. This has never happened before. This is a, an anomaly. Men have never lived their lives totally devoid of absolute truth, but they are now. And you know what a, you know a postmodern is going to say to you? You can talk all you want. It's speculation to me. You've got to show it to him. You've got to live it. It's got to be real, or he's never going to believe you. Friends, God is light, and you're called to be sons and daughters of light. Are you getting the message? <laughs> Are you getting the message? So whether we're dealing with Muslims or a postmodern secularist, it doesn't matter. Our authenticity is at stake. And just as importantly, our evangelism is at stake. I was telling the morning congregation that 98% of your evangelism will be your life. The other 2% are your words, and that's important. I'm not going to ever discount your words, that you know the Scriptures and you can share 
the Scriptures verbally. But friends, it's not just sharing them verbally. You're supposed to walk it in front of the world. And they're supposed to see, man, that Jesus must be real. Look how they live. Look how they love Him. Look at their joy. Look how they worship Him. Look how they give everything for Him and for His glory. Look how they do it. The world's supposed to see that. The world's supposed to see that in us. Jesus says, my people are salty. (laughs) They taste different. My people are light. They live different. I love the way John preaches. (laughs) I just do. (laughs) It fits me. It fits me well. I love it. I love the whole black and white thing. It's unvarnished. It's unambiguous. It's clear and distinct and it's simple. You're either in Christ or you're not. There it is. You're either in Christ. You know, and you know what this kind of teaching does? Uh, it just it cuts through all the finesse and all the half-truths that emanate from many Western churches these days. You know, it's, it's kind of like more, we're more like, into, you go to your average Western church, in the States anyway, and it's more about entertainment than, than about truth and about setting eternity in front of the people and, and loving the people like that. You know, so... Teaching like this, one, thing, one reason I like it is that it cuts through all the half-truths. It cuts through all the religious gamesmanship. And as I said earlier, through some of the cotton candy chatter that permeates the Western church. Paul loved the Corinthians. The last thing he said to him, almost the very last thing he said to him as he was signing off in 2 Corinthians 13.5, he said, test yourselves, brethren. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. You know, this is what someone who loves you says to you, Right? It's not I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay. It's examine yourself. Eternity matters. Eternity's forever. And if you've never examined yourself, Paul says, John says, examine yourself. Jesus was the same kind of preacher. Jesus was the same way. He always loved the people that hurt Him. Uh, You can tell because He was just brutally honest. Jesus was always brutally frank. He was brutally candid. He just said the truth. He didn't try to finesse it. He didn't try to spin it. He just said what it was. And if we read our Bibles, if we're familiar with our Bibles, we understand that. That that's the, the, the pattern of all of Scripture. God's not worried about being politically incorrect. He didn't care. He's worried about His people. He's worried about men and women coming to Christ. That's what He's worried about. He, I shouldn't say it that way. God doesn't worry. That's what God is doing in the world. He wouldn't give you a penny for political correctness. And I wouldn't either. Not in this venue. Now, out in the world, there might be a place for it. But when I'm talking about spiritual and theological truths, there's no way. Let me read you the words of Jesus. You know this great text, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, friends, spiritual deception is real. You know, it's real. And it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic in the world. It's an epidemic in the church. Spiritual deception. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? These guys were deceived. They thought they were Christians. They thought they belonged to Christ. What does Christ say to them? I don't know who you are. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were merely religious. 
They didn't, they didn't, there wasn't a real relationship. Jesus says, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. Depart from me. Verse 24, therefore, everyone, and I want you to hear this. Jesus says, he, he, it's the same thing First John is saying to us. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and someone tell me, acts on them, right? May be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Let me ask you, are you standing on a rock or are you still in the sand? Have you, are you acting on the words of Jesus? Verse 25, And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. Verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like the foolish man who has built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. The reason I love biblical teaching is it always creates an atmosphere whereby men and women can do serious business with God. And if you're here tonight and you need to do serious business with God, I want to invite you to do serious business with God because it matters. It matters more than anything else and it matters forever. Okay? John, if you, if you look at 1 John, he says, if you, if you look real, real quickly there in the, in the chapter, he, three times he says, if we say, if we say, if we say. Friends, it's not if we say. What is it? If we do. If we do. John says, and this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise God. The Word of God. Let's pray. Beautiful Lord, we thank You for this Word. We thank You how You speak to us as men and women. You speak to us as an adult. You speak truth to us. You love us. You just speak truth to us. And You're calling us to be sons and daughters of light. You're our Father. And there should be this family resemblance. You're telling us that we're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to sound like Jesus. Our life is to have this aura, this aroma. People are to read the beauty of Christ off our lives. Oh Lord, help us in that we all fail miserably. We all struggle with this. Help us, Lord God. Help us to be those conduits of light that you called us to be. Father, help us to be salty. Father, may we be distinctive. May we love people enough to study the Word that we can explain it to a Muslim. And not only that, we can live it before Him. And that a postmodern secularist, Father, will see it. They'll see it's real. It's because we live it, we flesh it out, we incarnate. The Bible. 
Lord, this is what you're calling us to. This is the only reason you've left us here. It would be far better for us to go and be with you in heaven, but you've left us here to be the light. To be the light to the Muslim. To, to be the light to the postmodern. To be the light to all the unbelievers. To be, to, to be the light to those who are, who are trapped in false churches and false denominations. Father, to boldly proclaim, Jesus is the Christ. And the Bible is the Word of God. Lord, may we be bold Christians. Use us mightily, O Lord. Break us where you need to break us. Bring us into conviction of our sin where we need to, where we need to put down sin and confess and repent, Father. So that your light can flood through us for these very few moments we have on this earth. Oh, Father, your word tells us we're vapors. We're vapors. We're here and we're gone. Lord, may we understand. I had a brother tell me this morning, Lord, we, we're, we're here and we're gone. May we understand that. May we lay hold. May we lay hold of this day and every other day to be light, to be light. We praise you, beautiful Jesus. In your name I pray.